Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, back in the late 1980s, early 90s, there was a best-selling book, sold millions of copies, and it was called All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. I'm just curious how many of you have heard of or maybe even owned a copy of this book. Yeah, no, many of you did. Well, for those who may not know, it's a collection of short essays written by the author Robert Fulgham, in which he explores the notion that we as children learned simple and yet universal truths that are applicable to our entire lives. Things like being kind to one another and and making sure to clean up after ourselves and, and leading a balanced life of work, play, and learning. And his premise, of course, written in humorous and amusing ways, is that the world would be a better place if only we as adults adhered to the basic rules that we learned in the classroom and on the playground. I think this, in many ways, epitomizes our society's view of children today. We have a high view of children and childhood in our day and age. Someone after the early service uh, told me, they said, well, you know, Um, This isn't always the case. When we were younger, of course, children were often told to be seen and not heard. So I think this has changed over time. I think I'm talking more about uh, today's culture, and, and I think that has changed fairly recently, but it's quite significant to see how it is. Today, we, we value uh, children in, in many cases. We even go so far as to idealize childhood. We see childhood as an age of innocence, of being pleasantly naive, of simple joys and joyfulness. We say things like, well, see the world through a child's eyes or embrace your inner child. For us, again, today, being seen as a child or like a child is a beneficial thing, a good thing. And I bring all this up because... I believe this is the reason that we, as 21st century people, will have a hard time understanding what Jesus is saying in our gospel reading today. Because I guarantee you, if you were to go up to a first century person, perhaps someone who is in our gospel reading listening to Jesus that day, and suggest to them, all I really need to know I learned in childhood, they wouldn't know what kindergarten was, They would not only look at you like you were crazy, but they would probably say something to the effect of, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Children in the ancient world, they weren't despised, I'm not saying that, but they certainly weren't admired either. Children were viewed as lowly until they grow to an appropriate age or strength as a a productive member of the family and of society well, then they were viewed in a certain lowly way. Children were weak. They had no societal standing or influence. They did not have understanding. That's why the Bible says, train up a child in the way they should go. Children did not have power. They they could not care for themselves. They are not capable of the same things as adults. They are utterly dependent upon the people who provide for them and who protect them. In short, and especially in Jesus' day and age, children were not considered great. Which is why 
What Jesus says to his disciples would have not only surprised them and caught them unawares, but it also would have floored them, confounded them, humbled them, and flipped what they thought they knew on its head. It all started when the disciples came to Jesus, and who knows what was going through their minds that day. Scripture doesn't say, but it was clear. The disciples were trying to play the comparison game, the, the compete game, the, the jockeying for position game. They wanted to know who was the greatest. Perhaps in their own little circle, they thought whoever had the most private conversations with Jesus was considered the greatest, or whoever got to sit closest to him during the meals was the greatest, or whoever was invited by Jesus the most to do special assignments for him was the greatest, or perhaps they felt whoever was following Jesus' teachings the best was the greatest. Whatever it was, the question that was running through their minds, it was, it was so prevalent for them, so much so that they, they had the audacity to ask Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In other words, they, they were saying to Jesus, Jesus, we know you're bringing your reign and rule to bear in this world. And when your kingdom finally and fully does come, we want to know who is going to be on top. Well, Jesus doesn't answer the question, at least not at first. You know, I have these vivid memories as a child of going to my mom or dad and asking them a question, except my question was not a good one. It was such a bad question that my parents wouldn't even answer it. They would just turn to me and kind of have this look in their eyes, and I, I would know immediately what I had just done. So it would have been a question like, well, well, why do I have to do all the dishes as if no one else was contributing? Or, or why do I have to look after my little sister? Or yeah, my favorite, my personal favorite, mom or dad, who is your favorite child? <laughs> and when I asked a question like that, I could just see my parents' mind gearing up for whatever response they knew that they had to say to me. But I knew right then and there that it wasn't going to be the answer I was looking for. And I imagine, in much the same way, this is true for the disciples and with Jesus. Jesus doesn't answer them. Instead, he calls over a child, a nearby child, and he places the child in their midst, Scripture says, right in the middle of them, so that they're forced to look at this child, to acknowledge this person standing before them. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Jesus says to them, you want to know who's greatest in my kingdom? Let me tell you, O disciples of mine, unless you change and become like this person whom everyone assumes is the lowest of the low, you're not even going to get in. Well, can't you just hear their world tumbling down? Can't you imagine the embarrassment they must have felt for even asking? Can't you feel the rug being pulled out from under them? Again, for us today, it takes us removing ourselves from our mindset, our, our society's mindset, especially nowadays, and putting ourselves in their shoes for a moment. But suffice it to say, this would have been the last thing that they would have expected to hear from Jesus. Jesus was telling them to stop the comparing, stop the competing, stop the jockeying for the top spot. 
Let go of your desperate need for the highest status, the best credentials, the most noteworthy accolades. Instead, be needy people. Be lowly people. Be utterly dependent children. Because it's to the children that the reign and rule of heaven belongs. If you come to Jesus with your hands full, you will walk away empty. But if you come to Jesus with your hands empty, you will be filled up by him. And you will be welcomed with open arms into his kingdom. So what does this mean for us today? Well, despite the centuries in between us and the disciples, um, not much has changed in the worldly mindset. We do still have a lot, of, a lot in common with them. Pastor Don mentioned it before this service. Uh, as an example, football season has just begun, whatever level you're thinking of it. And between now and whenever the season ends, we attend those games and we are invested in those things. And we tune in every week to see at the end of the season who will end up on top, who is the greatest. It's just sort of built into our society's mindset. Or politically, we find great satisfaction when our preferred party, whichever that is, is in power and we lament when they're not. Or personally, students, students strive to, to do the best they can in school. Of course, that's a good thing. But there's a striving to be the best in their grade, to be at the top of their class list. Or employees scratch and claw at times for promotions or advancements to climb the proverbial corporate ladder. You would look sideways at someone if they said, well, I'd like to move downward in my career as opposed to upward. In Celine in general, just thinking about that, I think there's a certain level of living by which we judge ourselves and others. That you need to have your house in a certain con uh, condition. Your job or your finances in a certain order, your recreation vehicles, a, a certain number of times of use each year, that your family should look a certain way, your kids should behave a certain way, your clothes should look a certain way, your life should be put together a certain way. And not fitting any of those molds, well, that just opens you up to assumptions about yourself. This kind of pervasive thinking even finds its way into churches, as much as we might like to think that it doesn't. People from big congregations with large numbers begin to think that they are doing something right or, or somehow greater than, more successful than the struggling parish, for instance, on the other side of town or something like that. Or leaders at smaller congregations are, begin to think they must be doing something wrong because they aren't seeing the numbers that they would like to see or in our spiritual lives, how we compare ourselves through all these, whatever the marker might be, how greater or lesser than we might be than others. There are so many metrics that we use in life to determine greatness, from our personal lives to our school or professional lives to our religious lives. It infiltrates and permeates everything so much so that I don't think we even see it anymore. But it's always there. It's always convincing us what is great or what isn't great. But when it comes to living in Jesus' kingdom, Jesus is telling us today, stop. Stop the comparison game. Stop the competition game. Stop the jockeying for position game. There's no room for it where I am. 
Whatever your favorite gauge for greatness is, Jesus shatters it. He pulls the rug out from under us. He says to us, you turn and become like children. And he's not talking about the positive aspects of childhood. He's not saying be more open to new experiences or become more innocent or become more trusting trusting like children are. That's not what he would have meant. That's not what they would have heard in his day and age. Jesus is saying to become as lowly as children were viewed in his day. Become needy. Become lowly. Become utterly dependent upon him. Any attempt at greatness will only ever have us looking at ourselves, trying to be self-sufficient. But Jesus says we are to do the exact opposite. He, He calls us to recognize, I can't take care of myself. I can't fix myself or my sinful nature or my sinful actions. I need a Savior who will forgive me all of my sins, who can do for me what I cannot do for myself, who will save me from myself. And you see, this is what it means to be a child, to stop thinking that we can compete or compare, and instead to see ourselves as we truly are, as needy and dependent people so that we might better see Jesus as he truly is. Now, at this point in the conversation, after hearing all this, the disciples' question, who is the greatest, must have been the furthest thing from their mind. How small they must have felt for even asking it in the first place. But in another surprising turn, Jesus is the one who brings the question back. He brings it back and he fills it with new meaning. He says to them, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, whoever is most like this child is the greatest. Whoever is the most in need is the greatest. Whoever is the most incapable is the greatest. Whoever is the most unable is the greatest. You are the greatest. Jesus came for people like you and for me, struggling, needy, dependent people. In our church and in our lives, the greatest among us is the person who is the most in need. And brothers and sisters in Christ, when we think about that, when we stop and actually consider the implications of what Jesus has said and live like that, it can't help but transform our church, transform our lives in incredible ways. It means that the brother who is struggling the most with financial needs, he is the greatest. So we are to care for him. It means that the sister with the deepest sorrow when she is mourning and racked with grief day after day, she is the greatest. So we are to care for her. It means that the brother who has marital issues and finds that his life isn't all put together, but is, looks like it's falling to pieces, he is the greatest. So we are to care for him. It means that the sister who is being deceived or lured by temptation down paths that only bring her harm, she is the greatest. So we are to care for her. We go after her. We seek her and bring her back to her family, her church family that loves her. It means that the literal children in our lives, our own children and grandchildren, who are needy and they are needy that they need to know Jesus, they are the greatest. 
So we hope raise them in, this, in their faith. And on this rally day, we recognize that we all here at Christ our King have an obligation to the children of our congregation. You aren't ever here just for yourself. You all have a part to play in ensuring that our children know and love and grow in Jesus. We heard from many of our ministries that we have a privilege of, of welcoming, them, welcoming them here at Christ our King today to hear from them. Places like Lutheran Special Education Ministries or the Hope Clinic or the Luke Clinic whose ministries serve people who are in great need. And each of those individuals that they have a privilege of being the, the voice and the hands and the feet of Jesus, those people are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And it is our privilege to partner with them and serve alongside them with these people. Any brother or sister who demands our time, our patience, our kindness, our forgiveness, our love, our sacrifice, he or she is the greatest. So as best we can with humility, with a readiness to forgive and to be forgiven, we live like Jesus toward the struggling and needy and dependent people in our lives because they are the greatest. And today, some fear in your life, some sorrow or loss or embarrassment or sin or weakness or struggle means that right now you are the greatest. And tomorrow it will be someone else. This kind of thinking, it's so countercultural. I'm not even sure that, that the world could understand what it looks like to live in this way. I know I struggle uh, at times to, to truly understand what it means for us to live like this. Because it flips everything we know on its head. But wouldn't it be something? <clears throat> Wouldn't it be something if Christ our King was known in the Selene community as the place where everything is upside down? You see, Jesus, Jesus reverses things in his kingdom, in his reign and rule in our lives and in this world. And for those who want to compete and compare and jockey for position, Jesus really has nothing for them. They will receive whatever reward they're after in this world. But to the lowly, for those who know they have nothing, Jesus reaches down and he cares for, he dies for, he rises again for, and he will come again for those children, children like you and me. And as we find that we are perfectly cared for by Jesus, we then seek and turn uh, towards those who are the greatest in our midst, and we care for them as well. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.